Welcome to the Fathers of the Future podcast. We are live in Scottsdale, Arizona for our second to last Fathers of the Future experience of not only 2020, but season two. And I'm super excited today to be talking to a friend of mine, Julian Ratcliffe, all the way from Mesa, Arizona. No, wait, Northern England. <laughs> That's correct. <Sam. laughs> if I if I said you're from Mesa and they heard you speak, they might be like, wait a second. Today we're going to talk about a few things: skydiving, special forces, and fatherhood. But I just want to introduce you as we met about 25 minutes before I jumped out of an airplane. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something you do now almost every day. Yeah. 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 Does the thrill, does, does the stomach still bubble or is it like at the point where you're just like, let's roll? Um, a bit of both. I, now it's become a line of work, which is a privilege by the way. Um, and then you focus more on, on, on how good you film and take photographs and then also acknowledge this is actually really cool that I'm earning money doing this and I'm meeting new people and I'm giving them something that they're going to love and they're going to show all the friends and family. And so it's, it's kind of like a win-win. It's just that I'm, I'm really, I am really privileged to be doing it at, you know, arguably the busiest, biggest drop zone in the world with people that I know and respect and love. And it's just, it's awesome. <laughs> when was your first jump? My first jump was, oh, in the military years ago. Um, it was out of an air balloon at about 700 feet, 800 feet. Yeah, I was 17 and I was like, whoa. <laughs> and when you step out of an air balloon, you just go down. You just, there's no slipstream from the aircraft that pushes you sideways you just drop <laughs> so yeah it, yeah and how many jumps do you have now um sport skydiving i have 640 something so i'm actually really really new compared to many of the people i work with and around who have done thousands so um, how, did, how did you get here for, for the listeners? How did you get here? And, and I don't just mean Arizona and, and skydive Arizona, but let's, let's start at 17. Well, let, let's go back a little bit. Uh -huh. So you, you, you <laughs> talk to us about your first 17. So I joined the reserve parachute regiment back in the UK uh, when I was 17. I needed to do something hardcore. Um, and that was the hardest thing that I could see i managed to to pass it and i couldn't sleep at night the night before because i was really scared about parachuting because i'm actually scared of heights <laughs> um yeah and um, you can still say that now yeah 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 absolutely yeah yeah and I, I acknowledge it and accept it it's fine i just do it anyway that's good <laughs> um i don't like being scared of stuff i think that's that's the key um so i was uh yeah, I was this, I couldn't sleep. I was worried that I would be too scared to do it. And then I got in, we were in this like wooden kind of box thing hanging from a, an air balloon that was like attached via a long cable to a big truck on the on, on this field below us. 
and it's kind of like the first test jump and the, you know that's like one of the big things you do that okay now we'll go on to tactical jumping and i was super super scared i was not happy so I just got like ultra like angry come on come on let's do it and then just threw myself out and then uh what's, yeah. the, what's the hang time on that your free falls a second half a second uh, well two to three seconds because it was a slow opening parachute at the time so it was on these old military <laughs> round parachutes but it was an older one so that took longer to open so you're in free fall for a good two and a half three seconds and you just down you just drop straight down <laughs> it was it was amazing but then it got scarier for the, the next few times it got scary because i hurt myself slightly on my second landing and then I was absolutely petrified and thought I was going to die on my third landing. Mm. I was absolutely, this is it. But I just had to do it. I knew I had to do it. So I never forgive myself. So my third landing, I managed to land well. And then I was like, hey, I think I've got this. And then I did. I ended up doing about 90 or 100 military jumps. Nearly died on certainly one of them. Landing? Uh, no. Uh in somebody else's parachute at night with about hundred pound of gear on me mm. in, in the middle of some training area in Northern England, like first night jump as well. <laughs> we were at 600 feet, we jumped out and it was like, yeah, this is, this, that was really interesting actually. Cause I think I was 19 at the time and my decision making process was really clear. I remember it right. You know, I'll, I will always remember my decision making process. I could have got myself, in even worse of a tangle, I managed not to. And then, bear in mind, I was 19 at the time. I was like, yeah, well, I can't really do much now, so I'm going to get into... I just thought, I can't do this, I can't do that. If I did that, it would probably get him killed as well as me or something. You know what, I'm just going to get my notepad out and write a quick note to my mum. <laughs> so falling through the sky. But... You lived. I lived. Yeah. Yeah. And then what does your military experience look like after 19? Where did you go? What did you do? Well, I, I continued in the reserves. I went to university. Uh, then I graduated and I went straight into, so I, I ended up transferring straight across to the full-time military, which is a culture shock, a big one. Um, but I think they liked me and I ended up kind of staying there for like so 14 more years um and i served in northern ireland three times macedonia peacekeeping and then i did operations in iraq in 2003 and afghanistan in 2006 and 2010 i think it was 910. when did you make the switch into special forces when did you decide to do that well i, I transferred directly across to this there's part of the parachute regiment that got re-rolled to the special forces support group. And so what they do is they do special ops. They're the equivalent of rangers. Now, um, I was asked if I wanted to go in 2006 and I didn't want to because we'd just been in like the hardest tour that anybody had known since Korea. And we were like a band of brothers, like big time. And I was like, nope. But then, as the years went on, I was like, yeah, I, I don't want to go do this special ops stuff. Um, yeah, which was really, really interesting, actually, um, going down that route. 
And yeah. and that mindset that you had about I don't like being scared of stuff. Mm-hmm. Did that serve you well when you got into special forces? It's, it, yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. It served yeah. me well throughout. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're scared of something, uh, <laughs> a little fear is good because it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. But if it consumes you, no good. Yeah. You're owned by your emotions rather than what you, you know you need to do. So you just deal with it, acknowledge it. And I'm, I, I do say acknowledge it. Don't run away from it. Mm-hmm. Say, yep, it's there. I'm really scared right now. Okay, good. It's good to be scared. Right, well, let's do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 something I've fought for years and years and years. Um, yeah, and yeah. What is the military like? Not necessarily what is it like in your home country, but mm. what here? Uh, you've got two schools, right? People love the military, or they associate it with politics, and they don't. How are you treated over in your homeland? Um, that's a really good question. A really good question. Okay. Early on in my career, we weren't allowed in certain nightclubs if they found out that you're military, which was really interesting. That was a Northern Ireland thing, Catholic, Protestant, peacekeeping duties. Um, and then I went to Northern Ireland for the first time. And my platoon sergeant at the time, so he was in charge of like 30 guys. We were all like really young. And he said something that really, really impressed me. And he said, it doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Protestant. You know, if they're holding a weapon, if they're a threat, you know, you need to you know, deal with that threat appropriately. And it's, you know, it, it is a peacekeeping operation. It's not just going at it. And it's, it was very responsible, very fair. And I was like, I really like that. I really like that a lot. There's no bias. Um, and that was important to me to hear. And that gave me a bit of faith in everything that we were doing during and, and, and after on consequential tours. I think, I think in a first world country, and I understand why people are concerned about you know, the military and people on certain political sides will be concerned about the military, but you really are, in my experience, it's a first world country. The UK and the USA is you're taught to treat people with respect. You know, um, you really are. There will always be pockets of, of some people that don't, but in general, the establishment is fair and modern and moderate, and and I like that, and, and I think that's important. If if it wasn't, I wouldn't have stayed in it for a long time. Absolutely not. And after fourteen years, what did you? What was your next move? After fourteen years, I, uh, I my saturation level <laughs> had been reached. Um, and I ended up getting out and I was a mountain guide out in the Middle East, out in Kurdistan, region of Northern Iraq. And just as ISIS were there, um, the Americans started dropping on ISIS uh, when they're about 50, about 30 miles away. Um, which was good cause I wanted to stay there and continue working. And so ISIS had been stopped, uh, 
and then so we carried on working out in the Middle East for about six months. And that was really interesting as well because you're, you're working with Iraqi locals and that was an education itself, a beautiful education. And um, the generosity that they have to each other and to you was something I was like, oh, wow, okay. I'll share my food then. If you're, you sit down and you share your food, you've got hardly anything and you're giving me your food. Uh, okay, well, that was a Western culture versus Eastern culture. Mm, and I was yeah. like, okay, well, then I'll start sharing my food then. And then we just sit there and then I really started. Um, I always did respect foreign cultures, but, you know, and then you're hearing their, about their families that have been killed or hiding in mountains away from ISIS um, and ancient Christian is it Aramaic? I think it was. Uh, languages that were being you know, spoken on the mountain. And so who are you guiding on these mountains? So it was, it was gas and oil um, mm. companies were doing seismic surveying, looking for pockets under the ground for um, oil, basically, um, of which they would send seismic surveys, um, excuse me, down down into the ground and certain echoes would would give you certain information. And we were the the guides that would go over the mountains, make sure that there was routes. Then we'd come back and then we'd guide over the seismic surveyors. And then we'd come back and then we'd guide over the local unskilled employees that would come in with all the seismic stuff and, and plug it in the ground. So it's really, and it was, we'd be out every day and it was extremely hot. And so what is the comparable of that environment to our summers here in same. Arizona? Same. The same. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, but the mountains are bigger, <laughs> really big, massive ridges. And we, and obviously there's a security issue. So, which served, it suited me because like from, with my background, I was very aware and, um, understood the situation better than some of the civilians I was working with. No disrespect to them at all. But and, and that amount of pressure and stress that you felt, let's say, from the moment you jumped out of an air balloon at 17 mm -hmm. and you were in the military for 14 years and then, of course, going into private sector and continuing in that environment. Yeah. When did you finally not feel like you had to look over your shoulder, like there was constant stress, like that, that pressure was alleviated from you? I think, I think when I moved over here, because I, I used to walk around the UK after Northern Ireland and I worried that there might be a, an IED, like an improvised explosive device, like a homemade bomb, basically, behind a school fence. So I used to be really concerned about that and I used to make myself not check um, bins and hollow, I don't know, pipes left around or, or, or fences and stuff. Then Iraq and Afghanistan happened. And then I would envisage like rockets blowing up shops right in front of me. I was walking in my hometown. It wasn't traumatic. It was just like, oh, look, I'm worried about walking on that paving slab because it looks loose. Somebody might have put an explosion under it. Mm. So I kind of like laughed at it and acknowledged it. Um, and then I'd walk off the path and I'd 
or I'd, I'd, I'd try and walk off the path rather than on the path because there might be a tripwire, so a booby trap. That, and then I did diplomatic bodyguarding out in the Middle East. So we were really, really curious about that when we are going over towards Mosul area. Um, how, that, long, how long did you do that for? About, about two and a half, three years. And um, that was really, really interesting as well. Um, it was actually back in the same area as when I was doing my mountain guiding a few years before. So there was, there was concern about IEDs there. Uh, when I came here, it was only as you raised that question, I realized I haven't been worried about a bin. And, and a here, is wire. this where you came first uh, to Arizona? Well, when I, when I got out of the military, I did. Yeah. I, my, so, so you got one job you got to share after the military. You got, you got to keep going here on that, that linear timeline. You got to share. Okay. So you did some private sector work, uh, some bodyguarding for yeah. a couple of years, diplomats, um, very uh, wealthy people. And yeah. that worked for a while. Yeah. Really good. Really good. I gave it up to have a family and be a, be a man. Yeah. <laughs> Be a father. Be a father. Yes, I love which it. Which I love. Yes. I love it. It's the best job ever. And your son is how old? His, his second birthday is in a few days' time. Oh, yeah. He is the coolest dude. Yeah. He is. He's given me life and I it just, yeah. Okay, so hold on on him. We'll come back. Yeah. Private sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, diplomats. Yeah. Yeah, political and in, in terms of like the work you did, like uh -huh. seeing it all, um, same yeah. as protecting the queen, if you will, in, in many ways and respects. Not the quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's so high end government officials that are employed in important jobs, liaising with American, European Union and local Iraqi nationals trying to work out how, British and international interests can be served best. And I was facilitating them in a job. And assassinations happen regularly. Um, in fact, in that region, it was a little bit safer. So that was Northern Iraq again. So it wasn't Baghdad. The threat was there. If the, the thing, my assessment of places like that is that, you know, people are the same, but everywhere really. But if something goes wrong out in the Middle East, it goes wrong much quicker and much, it's much more emphasized. So in, in, in first world countries, it's kind of like subdued, managed, mostly. Um, whereas it's kind of open carte blanche on the streets, rioting, destruction, violence, ethnic groups attacking other ethnic groups. Um, yeah, it can go very unstable very, very quickly. Airports can get shut down. Things can get blown up. Um, attacks can happen. It's it's really interesting. And, that, and that's where, as a security specialist, what you've got to do is you've got to, you're there to stop that person being in that area at all. You've, to my logic, you've failed if you have to pull your weapon out. You shouldn't have been there in the first place. Mm. So what you're actually doing is, is assessing and avoiding managing risk rather than getting in it and fighting your way out of it. But obviously we're good at doing that too if we need to. Well, good at getting out of it. 
So, so you got stress in a hot air balloon when you're 17. Yeah. You got stress for 14 years in the military oh, special yeah. forces. You got stress for a couple of years after private sector protecting diplomats. Yeah. What's the job after, after that? Well, immediately after that, I was a, a full-time stay-at-home dad. Yeah. Which was cool. Yeah. It is watching your son or daughter, you know, grow and change and develop is a beautiful privilege that many people in my, in the military didn't get to see. And I got to see that. And it's, it's lovely. It's, I'm in awe every day. It's, mm. it's wonderful. How do you compare this stress now to, to that stress then? Oh, this is easy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the skydiving is, is, is easy. I mean, like now the stress is, will I get a good shot? Will I get, make this person, help this person enjoy this whole experience? Um, but I like people, so I'll interview them, I'll talk to them, mm -hmm. and then we'll end up like, like, oh, we did this, uh, I filmed this lady. She'd never been in a plane before. <laughs> and and she was jumping out of it, which is cool. And there was another girl, and she was quite young, and she was really, really nervous. And then she just came alive when she jumped out of the plane. She was like, yes. And I was just filming it all, and it was just brilliant. And it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's really nice to be able to record that and give them, give it to them. So, so we talked about this a little in the precast, uh, facing fears, yep, and acknowledging they exist, and then doing something about it, taking action. Yeah, and so I shared with you three of my greatest fears just a few years ago. Yeah. I, I want to say I delivered a keynote in November of two thousand and seventeen, where uh -huh. I said, "Hey, my three greatest fears in life are the fear of heights, yep. especially jumping out of an airplane." Mm -hmm. the fear of public speaking, presenting on stage yep. and the fear of death. Yeah. And one by one, I was committed to not just unpacking and, and standing up to those fears, but really overcoming them in a powerful way that, that gave those fears meaning Yeah. as I acknowledge them, not just pretend, Oh God, oh, it goes away. You know, I'm not on the ledge anymore. Oh my God, my feet are on the ground. Oh, thank God I jumped out of an airplane. But like, fully embracing those yeah. fears. Yeah, yeah. And so today's reading in uh, my Daily Stoic talked about how regardless if you were Napoleon mm -hmm. or Napoleon's servant, you ended the same way when you died. And, and it put things into perspective that yeah. when people get on their high horse, when, when the ego fully comes out yeah. and, and one person's proud as can be and the other one is absolutely fearful and dreadful of life, they're both going to end up the exact same way. And it gives power to that idea of both being the master and being the servant, being the king yeah. and being the pauper, not letting titles, not letting things, objects, not letting houses and cars and money and not letting all of these things that is truly what's affecting modern day society. Yeah. You know, and, and again, we talked about this, we're, we're friends on social media and, you know, we deliver a message and we have a platform and we want to empower people. But like anything in life, there's a lot of people using that and it, they're not using it in a healthy way. I, I, I would agree. I, I would agree. Um, similar problems that you see here in the States back home, pretty similar. Yeah. I, no, I, I'm a big fan of America. 
I really think that the opportunities are here, that people are very open to new people, to new ideas, and money is blind. It follows good ideas and um, effort and commitment. Um, and what what serves society. That's That's my beliefs in money. Now, like I grew up, like my mum, I was a single parent mother, a cleaner. I was never grown, I, never, I was never raised to resent people with money. In America, it's really nice that you can come here. The class system that you probably have in, in England, um, a little bit, isn't really here. If you're a good dude, people give you a chance, which I really, really like about America. So, but people shout a lot <laughs> and it's, it gets a little bit, yeah. <laughs> keep, keep going. The listeners here are like, tell, tell us some more. People shout a lot over here, which in one way is really good because it's freedom of expression. Like vocally aggressive. Well, there's different forms of shouting, isn't there? And vocally aggressive or putting down your opponent, belittling them because they have a different opinion than yours is, in my opinion a foolish and unintelligent behavior. I don't mean to insult anybody that does that. I'm saying that, I'm not saying that they're stupid. I'm saying that they're not thinking things through and they're not actually being a higher being. They're not questioning why that person thinks that way. They're just shutting them down. And that's a failed approach, a very failed approach. And you see it from the top down. I mean, you you saw the, uh, I don't know how much you watched, and I watched very little, but I can see the highlights of both the Democratic and Republican conventions. And, yep. you know, even down to what we're going to see in the mayhem that might exist in January, even long yeah. after this president has gone and, and moved on, yep. you're still going to see tweets and you're still going to see the hatred go back and forth. Why? <laughs> I just don't understand why you can be so full of hatred and bile against somebody that you don't know, that you've never met. It's freedom of speech, buddy. Oh, yeah. But it's like, it, like I was, okay, so a friend of mine uh, I used to serve with, uh, a female, she was in special reconnaissance. I have a great deal of respect for her. I think she had a couple of glasses of, of wine and she was messaging me and then she was shouting and screaming about Donald Trump. Right, and I get it, right, I do. Um, and she was, and I said, has he done anything good like in his four years in office? No, nothing. And I was like, nothing at all. And and I was just like, yeah, this, this conversation isn't gonna go on. She kind of like in the morning, she kind of, she's not good at apologizing. So she kind of made peace in her own way. I like that. Making peace versus apologizing. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just like, that's the end of the conversation. You, you, it's okay to dislike somebody. It's okay to disagree with them. Like, but to be blindly full of hatred to me is, well, it's an emotion. You're not actually thinking. And I try now to look at the world knowing that I've probably got some filters on. And so try and you acknowledge those filters and you know, remove them 
and try and just see it as it is rather than being told what to think, being told who I'm supposed to hate. Like, you know, like we, we had the same issue with the European Union and the UK and that was incredibly divisive. And I was like, like, it's just two logics. You don't have to hate somebody that thinks one way or hate somebody that thinks the other. And what I'm, in fact, this is something that's really important to me. A lot of my friends are not military and they never were. And I always wanted to keep it that way to give me that balance. So I was going off and doing hardcore things in Afghanistan or Iraq. And then I come back and go down the pub and drink pints with my car designer mates. And we're not talking engineer, we're talking like the sculpture of a Bentley. You know, and we talk and we just chat and we just be normal human beings. We, we've completely different lives, but we were friends. And uh, still very good friends this very day and we message each other regularly. It's just, surround yourself with people that are different from you and listen to each other and respect each other rather than go in that echo chamber, which is, quite frankly, a flawed approach to life because you just surround yourself with people that think the same as you and you end up radicalizing each other. There's no point. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to have had a diverse childhood yeah. growing up in Hawaii yeah. and, and and learning things like public transit in fourth grade, right? You know, my kid, I'm like, he's going to the Shell station. He's 14, right? He's got hair and balls. And I'm like, hey, text me when you get there. Text me when you get back. It's like, wait a second. I was literally waking up at 6.30 in the morning, making a bowl of cereal, 10th floor, taking an elevator, walking a mile, getting on a bus, transferring to a yeah. second bus, walking another mile, uh, not uphill both ways, guys, don't get me twisted, <laughs> but going to school <laughs> in fourth grade, right? Yeah. My youngest is in seventh, my oldest is in eight. Was, how old are you in fourth grade again? Uh, so fourth grade, so if 97 is 18, if we go back 10 years, 89, 88, 89. But how old so, are you? Yeah, excuse me, 9, yeah. 10. 9, 10. 9, 10. Okay, yeah. I've, I've still got to get used to those grading nine, systems in, over here. Like. Yeah. Uh, speaking of systems that are different, mm -hmm. we're not going to talk about the, the metric system. Uh, but oh. We are going to talk about <laughs> what is, you know, obviously the, the Declaration of Independence. Uh -huh. uh, Treason and, Day. <laughs> yeah. Ungrateful colonials. <laughs> Yes, that's what I was hoping for. Uh, <laughs> what, what are your, uh, and this may be an ignorant question, but we're going to laugh Not about it all. if it is. You know, what, what are your, um, what are your, let's call them rules, bylaws? What are your standards? What is your constitutional rights? What, what, what is there in place in England that marries up or matches up with, a lot of what we're seeing people fight over right now here in, in our country. That's a really good question. <laughs> right. I'm going to try and answer this concisely. But I loved your first probably. answer. <laughs> Treason day. Oh, man, that's good. <laughs> like a, a, a few skydiver friends of mine, I've got like a, a T-shirt and it's uh, Make America Great Britain Again. <laughs> and it's the, it's the, the 48 states... You know, but with the Union Jack on it. Oh, and I was like, yeah. yes. And they all loved it. Classic. And they were all there in their Stars and Stripes ones. <laughs> um, I think actually the UK and the USA are quite similar. It amazes me that we're friends and I love the fact that we are. Our two different countries. 
Um, I think that the structure and the logic behind each country is similar. I think that it's more ref. I don't know if the word refines the right word. I think it's more emphasized in the US. So this freedom of speech, right? This freedom of making money or die trying, which personally I kind of like that logic. Uh, freedom to rise against the government. Um, kind of like that too because I like guns. Um, <laughs> so, And I love the logic behind it. And that stems from British logic. I think what happened was obviously we had royalty. Now there, the power of royalty is now massively, massively subdued and it's like a, a full democracy. But with, you know, it's, it's, it's okay what we've got in the UK. I think that, again, Americans shout a lot um, and they don't really need to, but it's kind of good that they do to a certain extent. I, th I think if you go to other countries, you've got different structures in place, extremely high taxes, extremely high social support. But with that, you're kind of made to live in the middle. And so there's both goodness in that, but there's also negativity in that. And I think it would be unfortunate if people couldn't see the benefits of both logics. So the American logic is great and the French logic is great. It just depends which side of your, what your moral compass is, what your life mm -hmm. experience, what your instincts are. Mm -hmm. Personally, my instincts are pro the American style. Um, but I acknowledge and respect people that think differently from me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just saying that, I mean, I, mean, I really do. Yeah. But yeah, I think we've got more in common than we've got different, the UK and the USA. And, and that's, that's a really nice thing. And as somebody who does like guns, <clears throat> I do myself, mm -hmm. I carry. Yep. And England, you can't even have a, a BB gun, right? Like there's some pretty tight rules. Really, really tight rules. Yeah. yeah. If you have a, yeah, very, very tight on licensing. So what do you think about ours in America? And and again, there's no judgment in no, that's this. That's a really good question, right? actually. And, and if I can share first. Yeah. So... <clears throat> I believe in the constitution. I believe in yep. America, but yep. I also believe in if somebody came up with a better fucking idea and a better concept that made us better, it's time to fucking upgrade the system. Yeah. Period. And so this whole thing about guns with school shootings, by the way, COVID has stopped all school shootings. <laughs> but if, if somebody had a plan in place that could upgrade the system instead of going back to the constitution and that this is my right to carry a gun, mm. I carry a gun. Yeah carry lots of guns. I have lots of guns, but I carry it as the equalizer in protecting myself and my family. Yeah. Not as the constitutional rightist who says I'm carrying this cause I can. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the people on the right shouting really loudly mm. when they probably don't need to just be a little bit more understated is my style. I just I realized I shouted right there too. That's uh, that definitely is an American thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's my opinion on it all? Yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Right. Um, well, there we go about our filters. I love guns, right? I'm, I'm a soldier. I'm interested in weapons. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a gun designer when I was young. I was really, really interested in weapons. However, I'm a Brit 
I think it's crazy that um, you've got all these awesome weapons in people's homes. Hmm. Why? Hmm. It, don't you think it's a little bit overkill, pardon the, pardon the pun, but, but then you go like, well, it's in the Constitution. It, it, you know, those weapons will never be taken off the people. And obviously it's a musket versus a, an AR-15. But then you go, and this is something that I think people don't really think about, You've got like around about 350 million people in the USA. Gun crime in in the majority of okay, I think I think gun crime is actually really low considering so many people mm. are carrying. Most people don't want to go around shooting their neighbors. Mm -hmm. They just don't. I, th I think we need to give people a little bit more credit than they get. And people in England think that everybody's racist in America. Mm. Well, okay, not all people in England, but a lot of people in England see certain media. People are racist. They're all gun-toting. They all want to shoot each other. High school shootings, I find, and, and send that. First of all, the most awful thing, like high school shootings, it's just, I, yeah, it leaves me speechless. And now that well, we have children... Mm -hmm. So it's obviously something that really, really concerns me. It's awful and it's disgusting. But what are you going to do? You're going to take all those people that have registered firearms off them? And like, well, what about the, the people that don't have the registered firearms? They're, not, they're, they're never going to give them up. So you're kind of stuck with it. Mm. So I actually came out with something that mm. it was discussed about gun ownership. And it was on Facebook. And I was like, well, what about? And nobody answered, which... It might be a good thing. I said, what about um, going through a, like, veterans or police doing a firearm safety weekend? And if you do one of those weekends, you don't force somebody to do it because that's when the government is telling you what to do. But if you, if you gave heavy discounts on weapons and maybe speeded up, your, you know, your license application or whatever, if you were to do one of these courses on responsible firearm use and the consequences of, you know, dead family members and such like, then, you know, perhaps you could, that would be a really good thing. Nobody answered because mm. everybody was shouting about Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. So I, I, yeah. Yeah, it, nobody has a... a an answer that solves a problem. Everybody has an answer that is debatable between yep. two parties, yep. but a solvable answer. Uh, I just got a thousand rounds of uh, AK-47 in ah. from Russia. Uh, You're an AK guy, right? I'm an AK guy because when we first moved here, we moved here from California. Uh-huh. By the way, uh, handgun of choice? Well, that's another awkward question <laughs> because I'm really familiar with the Glock, the Glock yeah. uh, 17. Yeah. Um, and well, we had the Browning and then we had the six hour 226. Mm. The 226, I liked the Glock I'm impressed with, but you've got so many varieties of weapons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's, it's hard. Uh, to go back for a moment, a lot of school shootings in the last couple of years, 
for me personally, a school shooting, I holster my weapon. Like when, when the news comes out, mm-hmm. it, for me, it's not, oh, let's pack some more. It's put down your guns. For me personally, okay. when, I, when I see that happen, and I don't know if that's some deep-rooted empathy uh, as my mom raised me only child, product of the 70s. She snuck me out of the hospital without a social security because she didn't want me to get drafted to the war because she didn't want me to go through life having had killed somebody. And although I carry, although I train tactically, although I know if I had to, I'd know what I would need to do. Yeah, yeah. I want to go through life without having that. And so there are times where... I just am not in the right state of mind, right? So, you know, Mm. for me, there's multiple Glocks around the house uh, (laughs) in my vehicle when I'm driving, Mm -hmm. but there are times where I will just take some inventory. How am I feeling? Yeah. And if my mind, if I'm not right, there's no way I'm, I'm loading up some cold steel on my hip. I need to be in a place where number one, I'm gonna have to go old school and use my knuckles, right? If I needed to. And number two, I'm just not able to handle a very high stress situation right now. My life's too stressful at this moment. I'm gonna choose to leave the house without it. Well, you're managing yourself and you're Mm. clearly a responsible individual. I mean, that's what you'd like to think most people would do, but they wouldn't, I don't think. Two million new gun owners since March in, in this country. You can't buy a box of nine millimeter bullets right now. That's right, yeah. I mean, I, I, I saw one on eBay and a box of 50 rounds was somewhere around $55. Now you can find some here and there, but- Aspro, the, the shelves were empty. <laughs> empty. Uh, empty. Yeah. And they had a sign and you pre-order they had a sign like, um, you only allow 200 rounds per yeah. month. And it's just like, with COVID and then with the riots, it was just, yeah, th- this year has been really interesting. <laughs> okay, let's, let's change the, uh, the energy. Uh-huh. Let's talk positivity. And, and if I can just share with you the impact that it's had on me. And uh, mm. we, again, we shared it on the precast. You know, I, I've, I've spent a lot of years in, in the, the negative energy field. Yeah, lovely chat, by the way. Yeah. Uh, amazing, you know. Uh, it was almost better than this. <laughs> this one's pretty good. But you've made the switch. From what to what? From the old model, old version, yes. to this highly powerful, positive human being. Yeah. I, I so, okay, I'm, I'm, I've always been like a nice guy, a positive guy with many, many flaws, but I'd get wrapped up in anger or I'd do a lot of complaining or I'd try and change everything. And then it got to the point that I really noticed some people around me were like, all they do would be negative about everything. And I was like, actually, this is really unhealthy. And I just, because it was that that apparent to me how people were behaving. I was like, I don't want this. And um, I made a career change. And I remember thinking, I was actually in 2015, I was in Florida at the time. And I was like, no, I don't, I'm done. 
I'm done with all of that. I'm going to live my life in a, in a positive way. I'm not going to surround myself with all these negative vibes. I just don't want it. I don't need it. It's There's no point. And if you want a good life... Now, I, I'm not saying live a life full of flowers and bunnies bounding across the meadow. You know, life is hard. Life is real. Good. Let it be there. But just don't let yourself get wrapped up in all that horrible negativity that you see. There's just no point. It, and nobody wins. Hmm. In the long run, no one wins. So let's just be good to each other. And if we don't like each other, that's fine. We don't. We, we can still be civil to each other. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really important. And my life has become so much better when I look at it as a journey and I am positive and I go out and I help people when I can. It's... So when life gets really hard, it's still not that bad. And I'm really lucky for that. And it, I, I guess I became enlightened probably about uh, five years ago. I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm done. I don't need it. I don't want it. People that don't like me, good. <laughs> and, and that's something right there. Mm -hmm. I don't need people to like me anymore. My opinions are mine. I'm a moderate, thoughtful, reasonably good guy. Some people like you differently and, and great. <laughs> but like, if you're going to hate me for my opinions, then good. Hate me. I invite you to hate me. Because I don't really need you to like me. I'm not doing you down. I'm not doing everybody else down. So just, that's fine. I don't, what you think about me is not my business, basically. I just don't need it. And it's felt obviously much better than some of the old feelings that you had. Because I was the same oh, way. Yeah. You know, the negative energy will take over. The negative charge will always outweigh the positive charge. Yeah. Bad news travels fast. Yeah. Well, actually, right, I did this thing. So I was in a platoon, right, years ago, right? And I felt really, really uncomfortable. And it, it was instinctual. I knew this is going to be a difficult year or two. And, um, I look back on it. I've seen a picture of the platoon, right? And I look back on why I was so uncomfortable and ill at ease and I just didn't enjoy my time there. And it was like five people that ruined it. It was like, wow. All those years back then, I let five people you know, map out the, the, you know, the way I felt about that year or two. And that, that was that was a, that was a lesson, and and it's still like if there's negative energy coming your way, it emphasis it's to you could argue it's more powerful than the, the positive energy, but then you just go nope. What they think about me is fine. I'm not going to let it own me. I'm not going to let them own me. Beautiful. It's just the so way it is. I'm going to ask you this question that we ask. Just about everybody on the show. Uh -huh. uh, today's your last day. It's your last jump. Okay. Okay. A little later on this afternoon, you're in an airplane at 15,000 mm -hmm. feet. Things are going great. And boom, shoot doesn't open. And so your last words, your last message here is on this show. What would you want, number one, 
that boy Gunner to know who's turning two just in a couple of days. And number two, what would you want the world, what would you want your legacy to know about you and this life? Live a good life, whatever that is for you. Be authentic, be good to others. Try and be wise. Um, life isn't going to be easy, but it doesn't need to be either. So go out there and live a good, positive life and give that to the people around you. It's really important. You owe it to yourself. Um, and so many people don't hear that. And and when I've helped like disaffected teenagers and that, they've never heard anybody say anything like that to them and it 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 knocks them over like it's like wow and i'm like why isn't anybody else telling you this <laughs> like why hasn't your social worker or your teacher or whoever why haven't they told you this and nobody's telling them and it's like create a good life for yourself tell you how you want to be mm. don't listen to oh yeah this is crap like you wake up and you're miserable life's hard you say right okay life's hard i'm gonna have two or three minutes in bed and i'm gonna feel that that and then you're gonna go right jules get up do good stuff have a great day and then do it it's it's so important and i want my son to know that it doesn't matter what he does as long as he there's two rules respect women don't be a bully Hmm. yeah that's basically it. everything else is same you know clear um, yeah love it julian it's been an honor this is uh one of my my favorite episodes of the year had a great time chatting with you we're going to continue this conversation in 2021 we have six crucibles coming to scottsdale and one of the new evolutions is going to be skydiving so <laughs> brilliant we've got six calendar dates you can check out the website i'm going to put it in the copy below this episode but you can come here to scottsdale and train with someone like Jules, myself, the team, a two-day retreat where a lot of what we discussed today, including tactical firearm safety, MMA, mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, psychological warfare, emotional intelligence, impact and empowering your life to be the best possible man so that you can be the best possible father. For more information on that, you can check out our website, lukekayam.com, fathers of the future, Com. And if you want to hook up with my man, Julian, you can check him out on Facebook at Jules Verne. Jules Verne. And you can go and actually jump out of an airplane with this man at Skydive Arizona and have him not only film you, but uh, take some really cool pictures. By the way, thank you. My hair was looking great uh, at 15,000 feet and it was because of you. <laughs> You're welcome. Julian, I thank you for being here. We thank you for being here. If you got some value out of this podcast out of this message. If you enjoyed our conversation, all we ask in return is that you simply share it, text it to someone, put it on your social media, email it to a friend. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and we are grateful for you being a listener. Peace.